All right, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So we're continuing with our series. So the first week, we were discussing the point of spiritual life in general, what it is that we're trying to do, right? Which is our relationship with God, our unity with God, recovering the image and likeness, right? Which is our identity as how it's supposed to be. And then we talked about sin as how it acts as a disease that takes us away from how we're supposed to be. And then last week we talked about the importance of discipleship, right, for the spiritual way, for how we go about trying to recover that image and likeness. So there's so many aspects to spiritual life, just like there are to to physical life. Um, And there's expertises and there's areas and there's, there's so many specialities. So I'm following for now the the path that's in practical spirituality um, as the basics, but there are obviously much more things in that. And every chapter in that book could have had multiple sub-chapters um, within. So we're doing like almost like the bird's eye to some extent um, before we return to a more detailed um, thing, depending on where you guys want to go from this um, after these sessions are done. So the first chapter of the book is about the discipline of the mind, okay? And the Desert Fathers talked a lot about the mind, but they didn't always call it the mind. They called it what is in modern English in the health field is the noose, right? And the the noose is the, the seed of the intellect. So spirituality puts an emphasis on the mind, the thoughts, um, because the mind produces everything because things start there. Things start with the idea. Right Before you can do something, you have to have a thought to do it. Right. So this is why the mind is the most important place to start. So as it says in Proverbs, as a man thinks in his heart, so he is. Right. For whatever it is that we think about is who we become. So thoughts are extremely, extremely powerful. Abuna Matta Meskin wrote in one of his, his booklets, the mind is the battlefields where man first meets with sin. It is the frontier where mankind encounters its grim, its grim arch enemy, the devil. It is not strange that the enemy should choose man's mind as the battlefield for waging his ferocious struggles. Psychologists say that the mind is the crown atop of the human body which directs our actions and behavior whether we are awake or asleep. It controls feelings, awareness, emotions, the will, and thoughts as well. Thus is man's mind the center that controls human behavior. Right? And we know this, right? You can identify people based on what mindset that they're in, right? You can be like, no, that's a person who's just always negative. That's a person who's always positive. That's a person who's always contentious, right? Their actions become a reflection of their mind. So that even we plan ourselves around people or we say, no, I know this person will react this way because they usually think like in such and such a way because the mind is, is so powerful and controls us. So when we speak of the mind, we are speaking also about the very intellect of humanity. It's not just though about the ability to think, but it's, it's our whole almost mindset, if you will. The ability of one to simply know God, okay? Is that the mind, when it's mature, when it's actually properly used, it can identify truth, very simply. It doesn't require like a, a whole lot of thought, it will identify, you'll, you'll find that peace in, in this knowledge. And so we form our intellect, by training, right? By prayer, by fasting. It's, it's whatever we put into it um, that will affect our minds. And if we properly train it, it will recognize truth whenever we see it, 
right? Depending on how I train my mind is how it's going to see. If I'm trained to think in a particular way always, then I'm going to interpret the world in the way that I've interpreted, which is why we like to focus always on the truth, right? That's why Christ kept on identifying himself as the truth. So the news, this is all background. It's going to get more practical as we go along. So bear with me, but it's important for us to understand the theory behind it first. So the noose is, the high, is higher than the reasoning brain and it's deeper than emotions. And this is very, very important because in our era, we seem to only care mostly about the emotional, right? How I feel about everything, what my opinion is on this, what it, what it causes me. When really the mind is, is wanting something higher, right? The body like, can be satisfied when you give it junk food, but that doesn't mean objectively that it was good for it, right? Even though it felt good. The same thing is true of the mind, that even though I might have feelings about something, it doesn't make the thing right. And this is why our Lord said, if your eye is single, okay? And single is, is a really weird word in modern English, okay? But single means is, is pure or it's in its most simple state, right? We actually, in the liturgy, we use the same word single to talk about God. We use it in... Um, the Gregorian liturgy, or no, the Cyrillian liturgy. It's in one of the, the inaudible prayers of the priest where we say, Oh, our God who is simple in nature. And what it means is that it's, it's not heterogeneous, it's not made of multiple things, it's in its purest, most raw state, and that's all it is. Okay, and this is why Christ said, if the eye is like that, if the eye is in it as it's supposed to be, in its most simple state, then everything is going to be pure. Right, because you're going to see properly. You're not seeing it with like a visual filter put on top of it. Right? If I put like a a funny colored eye lens, contact lens over my eyes, right? I might see differently. If I wear green shades, I'm going to see with the with a shade of green. Right? Whereas when I see singly, I will see things how they are supposed to look as opposed to with these filters that we put on. That's why Christ said, if your eye is single, if you're seeing it properly, your whole body will be full of light. But if you see dark, then the whole body will be full of darkness. This is true of the mind and also the senses. And we're going to bring up this verse again when we talk about the senses, I think, next week. Um, so we have the ability to let our, our, our noose, our intellect, to be spiritual, or we can let it be mostly carnal. These are completely up to us. Um, one is in the image and likeness of God. The other is to be an animal who seeks the passions, as we spoke about the first week. So depending on how I use it, I can either resemble God, or I can resemble being like any animal, right? Because what distinguishes me from the animal is the image and likeness. So if I try and recover it, then I'll be different. The more that I reject it, the more I will resemble animals basically running after my own instincts more than um, what is actually right. And it's the mind that leads the body. Right? The mind fell, as we said in the first talk, with the fall and with sin, and so it needs recovery. And the recovery is ascetic discipline. Right? We tend to think of ascetic works as always being just like what makes you holy. Right? And it, it does, but it's not because of the action itself. Right? It's not like saying that my doing push-ups makes me fit, right? but I might need to do push-ups to get fit. Right? So it's not an end in and of itself to do the ascetic works, but it's the, it might be a means to get me there. And we're going to talk about some of those, those methods. Um, St. Anthony said, there's a long quote here, I can send out the notes if people want, um, but St. Anthony has a, a long passage in one of his letters where he talks about how not everybody has a mind. <laughs> 
He's like, not everybody has an intellect. He's like, everyone like physically possesses the capability of it, but not everybody acts on it. It's something that we can that we can grow, and which is why we're seeing that the more and more the spirit dies, the more and more as humans we are resembling, like I said earlier, as animals, right? Versus those who discipline the mind becomes more and more like God. And he differentiates that the intellect is not the soul, but it's a gift of God that saves the soul. And the intellect that conforms to God goes on ahead of the soul and counsels it to despise what is transitory, material, and corruptible, right? To bring you up to a higher level. More importantly though, the mind is the key to discernment, right? Because the mind is our ability, when it's trained properly, to divide the spiritual things from the secular. It differentiates the war in our members, as St. Paul talks about. He says, there's this war within me, right? The good that I wish to do, I don't do. And the evil that I don't wish to do, I'm doing, right? He's able to identify these two things because he's developed his intellect. He's developed the, the noose. So, one time a brother asked an old man, saying, In what manner ought a monk to dwell in silent contemplation in his cell? And the old man said, He should have no remembrance of man whatsoever whilst he is in the cell. So he's saying, Okay, so forget everything and pray, which is not for all of us. He says, Well, what kind of labor should the heart perform? And so he says, Well, the perfect labor of monks is for a man to have his gaze directed towards God firmly and continually. That should be for everyone. So then he says, well, in what way should the mind, right? Because immediately it comes to the mind, because this is where the battlefield is, persecute the thoughts. And this is going to be the backdrop of our thing. The answer of the old man was not, oh, it's so easy, right? You should just do it. He says, the mind is actually unable to do this thing itself. It doesn't have the power to. Nevertheless, whensoever a thought of evil comes against the soul, it's required of it to flee immediately from doing that thing. So whenever you have the mind set to do evil, flee, and to take refuge in supplication to God to avoid the warfare. So since we believe in synergy, if I don't try to discipline my mind, then the Spirit isn't going to work with me. right? If I don't work with God, God won't work with me. Right? So if I am not putting in a labor to try and actually have some kind of control over my thoughts, don't expect grace, because you're, you're not even trying. You're not showing in any way that you want it. If the intellect is not willing to work with God, God will not work with it. So, to summarize all of this so we can get into the practical, okay? we said that the intellect, it's the seat of knowledge, it recognizes truth, it's developed and cultivated through meditating and studying the spiritual things. It saves the soul, it discerns, it leads a person. Okay, It's the highest faculty of man. It's what makes man above every other creature. It is the real image of God that needs to be recovered in us. So we need to protect it, to clean up the dirt, and then we'll be able to grow it. Because if we don't, as Avunamata says, if a man is defeated in this battlefield, it is the devil that is then in possession of all man's talents and capabilities. Along with this, the devil, as we know him, is a mental force with powers that are extraordinary and varied. However, in spite of this, he does not have access to us except through our minds. This is an important fact that many of us need to be aware of, especially with those struggling in their own virtue, righteousness, and chastity. For although the devil is a formidable spiritual power, the sphere of his activity against man is quite limited. He cannot approach anyone except through the mind. 
the only part of our nature that is susceptible to doing battle with him. The mind is the target of his attacks. Okay? This is why we're starting with the mind. Because all your spiritual warfare begins right here. Right? And this is why this is where we have to start with if we ever want to. So very practically, there's two ways to deal with the mind, right? There are, there are many subcategories, but we're not going to go into all of them. One is to protect my mind from harmful and unprofitable knowledge, okay? That's on the one hand. And on the other hand is to plant in my mind spiritual knowledge, okay? So there's two ways. Remove what's bad, fill it with what's good, which is very, very basic advice that most of us don't follow. So first we need to protect ourselves from things that are unprofitable to our soul. Um, which is why St. Paul says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Right? We can take some gleanings from these. Where he's like, I'm not interested in the rest of it. Right? St. Paul, when he's writing to them, he's not like, Hey, I was just wondering, like, did you get like this promotion? How much are you earning this year? What is going on with your pet? Right? It's not that these things are, are evil. But his concern is on on the spiritual, right? I'm not saying never ask somebody anything other than what is their spiritual status, right? They might not like you very much. But it's what am I what am I curious to know about? Right? And why? These are the things that I need that I need to know. So Bonathanasius in this book talks about news, being a news junkie. Um, and and because I know him as a spiritual father, he chose that as an example because that was his addiction. Right? So for him it was constantly wanting to know what was going on in the world, what, what happened in this country, what happened with the stocks, what occurred in Iran, and what did like this, that, or the other thing. And so, again, we're not saying that any information is wrong, okay? But what kind of addiction do I have for what I put in there? How profitable is it for me to do stuff, to, to know things, right? That's why during Lent in particular, we always had an exercise where whatever it is that we were particularly attached to, we'd remove. Right? So for Abuna, as he writes himself in the book, he would get rid of radio and news and all that kind of stuff during Lent to protect his mind. Why? So that the less of this knowledge is being put in, it needs to be replaced with knowledge. Right? And we will talk about what kind of knowledge to replace. And we see this, right? Like we, I, I got addicted personally to the Adnan Sayyid trial and there's a podcast called, called Serio. Right? And I wanted to know everything that happened, every development in this case. I learned the whole U.S. legal system right, just by listening to this, and then that led me to listen to other true crime, right, and, and just and, and immerse into it. To the point that I'm like, I don't know why I'm doing this anymore. Right? Because it starts off with a thought, it starts off with something interesting, right? and then suddenly, not listening to Ancient Faith anymore, I'm listening to right, whatever the new, the new podcast is. Or the example that he gives that, that most of us can remember is the O.J. Simpson trial where the whole country, not just your country, mine too, was, was obsessed with the O.J. Simpson trial. I remember that our teachers, because of how much they wanted to know, we left class to go to the library to watch um, the, the verdict come through. Where it's like, well, what is the point of this knowledge? What, what does this knowledge do for me? How does this knowledge build me up? The second kind of idle, of, of, of a useless knowledge that Abuna talks about is idle curiosity. And this is very dangerous, and this is something that most of us have um, as a problem. Am I seeking information for the sole purpose of just knowing everything? Okay, what is the, the objective of it? Because useless knowledge, if it's not used, is dangerous. Why? 
On the one extreme, it leads to pride. And you might say that that's a stretch, but it, it isn't, right? When I just can like, take in more and more knowledge, I start to see myself as the expert, right? When I start to talk to other people and they don't know as much as me, I start to disdain them, right? I start to think that I am the authority. Depending on what this knowledge kind of knowledge is, it can even lead a person all the way to atheism, and I've seen that, right? Where somebody just knows so much, right? They're like, oh, well, obviously it's just this, obviously it's just this, obviously it's this, who needs God? Regardless of whether that's, that's true or false. But it also sometimes makes us be condescending to other people, right? I've seen this particularly in, in, in youth, but it happens in adults as well, right? Where a person who feels that they're the expert are like, these people are like below me. I can't talk about the things that I like because they're not as cultured as me. They're not as educated as me, right? I want to talk about this, but they're still at this level, right? I've even heard people say, good luck having a rational conversation with them. They're like at this level, right? So suddenly my knowledge has made me arrogant. My knowledge has made me judgmental. My knowledge has made me the opposite of all the virtues, right? All of these things are against how I'm supposed to be. Right? It doesn't make me more meek, it doesn't make me more gentle, it doesn't make me more long-suffering, it doesn't make me more loving, instead it has made me all of the opposite. And so a lot of us don't realize that it's this knowledge that, that, that's doing it. This is what they call, what St. Theophan the Recluse calls the pride of the mind, right? Knowledge that makes me puffed up. Abuna then goes on to say, if you want to follow Christian perfection, you have to wean your mind from this addiction to knowledge. St. Paul says, If any man among you seems to be wise in this world, let him become a fool that he may be wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. Okay, so spiritual wisdom and worldly wisdom don't always actually go hand in hand. Okay, as we said, people who seek after this in the world, like in an excessive way, might end up becoming both arrogant and even um, atheist. Right? Um, which is why St. Paul, when he's giving counsel to Timothy, his son, right, his disciple, he says, okay, keep to the faith that I've given to you and avoid profane and vain babblings, okay, and oppositions of science falsely so-called, which some pro professing have erred concerning the faith, right, is, is that your mind can lead you the wrong way, especially in spiritual matters, which is how most heretics came about in the church, right, is from excessive babblings, from excessive philosophical ideas. I remember, I mean, this has been a decade now, but CopticHymns.net, which was started in this diocese, um, which I used to work on with Abuna Moses before he was Abuna Moses. And I watched the forums change. At the beginning, it was everybody who was coming with a question or idea. People would come back with answers that they researched or they asked about, and it was truly profitable. Within no time, we had the most useless discussions in the world, which is why Buna ended up <laughs> removing them, okay? And we had everybody thinking they're a therapist, everybody thinking they're a father of confession, and people were giving each other out exercises, saying, oh, what you need is 40 matanyas and this many fasts, okay? <laughs> Another person was getting on and just being like, oh no, that's ridiculous, because in my opinion, it should be this. And it's like, well, your opinion actually doesn't matter. Um, because there is a right and wrong, right? Like so, but this is what happens when we get involved in vain babbling. So I need to ask, why am I getting involved with this? Do I have this knowledge that I'm professing to have? Does the person in front of me have the knowledge? And does this knowledge build me up? If not, it's useless, okay? Which is why we need to put a stop to it from the beginning. You don't just engage it and indulge.
Then there's curiosity, which led to Lot's wife to perish, right? This was a very visible sign of, of saying, don't put your mind where it doesn't need to be, right? Of trying to understand something that you can't understand, what is beyond you, right? Lot's wife turned around, and I'm sure if she did, she'd be like, what kind of God is this, and how could he, blah, blah, blah. Um, and she'd have her own uh, CNN analysis of what occurred. And our Lord said, don't just try and know stuff, right? Think of your kids, think of yourselves, your own histories, right? How many of us started a sin that we're addicted to just based on curiosity, right? Of saying, I just want to try it once. I just want to see what it's like. I just want to know, is this what people say about it? So many of our addictions started this way, right? My own included, right? It just starts with the idea, right? And that's why the knowledge of sin is dangerous, right? Simply knowing that there's an option to do wrong is dangerous because it becomes an option, right? Once you know, ah, I could cheat, ah, I could do this, it becomes stored in the back of your mind as, okay, well, when these things are not working out, I have option B, right? Which is why protecting our minds from this curiosity can save us from all sorts of multitudes of um, falls. And Abuna talks at length about the Antichrist as well. He also talks about gossip, right, as being something that I'm filling my mind with, as one of the things to say, well, this is useless, right? I'm just wanting to know how much of this person's car cost, right? How much did you get this for? Like, we have a very competitive society. I mean, like, how did they afford this house? I thought she didn't have a job, right? Where are they getting money from? Oh, probably inherited. And their mind just goes on and on and on and on. Well, how come I don't have that? Well, I should have that. Well, maybe I could do this. And you just, it escalates and escalates and escalates. So these are not random things. These are real things. So you have to be on guard. What am I thinking about? Am I just being curious? Am I just being idle? Is this something that builds? Where is this coming from and where is it going? But as the psalm says, depart from evil and do good, right? Because inevitably, like, like the quote I used from that Desert Father, you're going to be thinking all the time. Right? So you can't not think. There isn't a way to, to turn off the mind and say, I'm not going to think. So depart from evil and do good is to say, it's not enough to stop a bad practice. It needs to be replaced with something good. Which is summarized in this saying from the Desert Fathers, which was in the book. A brother on several occasions troubled an elder and asked him, what can I do about the various impure and wicked thoughts that forced their way into my mind? The elder said, you're like a cistern that has been dug, which is sometimes full, but which when a man comes to draw, draw water from it, finds it dry. Why don't you make yourself more like a fountain of water, which is never empty? Persistence is victory, and victory is constancy, and constancy is life, and life is kingdom, and kingdom is God. Okay, this was from, from the Desert Fathers, which is, you can be full of something, okay, but you can either be full of dirt, Okay, or you can be full of pure water that people can drink from, which is to say, fill yourself with good, and there will not be room for the dirt. Right? That's that's the idea. So we all read the Bible, hopefully, and hopefully memorize verses, or we used to. But do we implant these spiritual princes, principles that the verses contain in our minds? 
Okay. For example, in Deuteronomy, when it quotes, And these words which I command you this day shall be in your heart, and you shall teach them diligently unto your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them for a sign upon your hand, and you shall be as frontless between your eyes, and you shall write them upon the post of your house and on your gates. He's saying continually have the points in front of you, right? Because what were they writing? The covenant they had in, their, in front of them, their deal with God, their relationship with God. So if I don't have that as my mindset, if I don't have that written in front of me, okay, then as a result, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall away. So this is why we have to assimilate what we read in the Bible to imprint them in our hearts and minds until they become part of our thought um, processes. So, I want to give some modern examples that are, are very nice, right? He talks about, Woe to you when all men shall speak well of you. Blessed are you when men shall hate you, and when they shall separate you from their company and reproach you, um, etc. So he's using this as an example to say, okay, I can just read it, right? And I, okay, I read the Bible, I put something good in. Or, I can take it and try and live with it. So he talks about Amba Yuannis um, of Gharbeya, the, the late bishop who... We need to get his books on our shelf. The Paradise of the Spirit is a masterpiece. And it used to be that he had every Thursday to preach in a specific village. And he used to share a cab on his way to that village. So one time he was in the car with a fanatic Muslim. He used to take the same cab at the same time every Thursday. As soon as MBU Ennis would get into the cab, that guy would turn the other way and he would spit. Right? Just spit on the side and make a real impression how much he can't stand him. And this went on for years. One day, Ambu went on the taxi and the guy didn't come. And Ambu felt upset in his heart and complained to God, why did you take away my blessing? Right? Because these weren't just words to him. Right? These became um, life. Ambu Samuel, the first bishop of, of social services who actually played a big role in the church being in the, in the diaspora. He had many people who hated him, <laughs> okay, many, many people, and so he received lots of hate mail, people would take the time, and it's not like an email where you can just in five minutes type something up, no, people would take the time, pull out their pen, have a cup of tea, and just let go, right, and tell Amba Samuel how horrible um, he is, each time he felt discouraged or cast down, he would read the nasty letters, <laughs> he didn't read his fan mail, Right? He read the nasty letters. Why? He took to heart the words of, Woe to you when all men speak well of you. Right? He was like, no. If the devil is fighting this, then something is right is happening. So I will read the hate mail to recall and put to my remembrance um, what the words of our, our Lord are. So the fathers took training in accepting insults and rejecting praise. Seriously. Right? There's the famous story of St. Macarius who gave an instruction to a monk who was dealing with thoughts of pride. Right, and so he said, "Well, I don't know how to deal with my my thoughts, or when I'm when I have these thoughts of pride, or feeling badly when someone insults me." So Saint Macarius sent him to the the graves, and he said, "Go praise them, right?" And so he praised them, and he came back. He said, "What happened?" He's like, "Nothing." He goes, "Okay, now go insult them." So he went and insulted them. He's like, "What happened?" He came back. He said, "Nothing." And he goes, "Yeah, be like that, okay? <laughs> don't let praise or insults." But what is the root of this? Okay, why am I telling this story? I'm talking about the mind. It's bringing the mind into subjection to the Word of God. Okay, if the God told us how to think and how to behave, we have to find out how do I do that, how do um, I live that.
Because God tells us, our Lord says, love not the world, nor the things that are in the world. Whoever loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Right? These are not like very politically correct words. They're very definitive. So have we implanted this um, in our minds or do we obsess over random things? Um, so he was talking about how the youth, and I know these youth because they're now the servants at my home church, but when they were in grade 7 and 8 and 9, more than a decade ago, right, and he was driving them, all they could obsess about the whole car ride was cars, right? And what new models came out and identifying every car on the road, um, and what car they're going to have and how many they're going to have, etc., etc. And so it's like, okay, well, he wasn't angry with them or like telling them about horrible kids, but it's like, where is my mind? Okay, is my mind in this tin and metal that's one day going to be in a junkyard and demolished and completely rolled over? Because that's the end of the car, right? What is, it, what is it that I obsess over? Is it my riches? Is it my technology? Is it my house? Because all these things will have an end. Is it my body? Your body is going to turn into dust, right? There's only one thing that remains, which is God. And so we have to ask, do I love the world? Because if I love the world, what did Christ our Lord say? He said, where your heart is... Where your treasure is, there your heart is. If my treasure is in the world, then that's where my heart is. And if my heart is there, then I will not have control over my mind. Because I've given my mind to something else. So, what are the things that we need to do to control our mind? How do we recover it? Obviously, the first is prayer, right? This, the, the mind is where the devil is going to have his pitch for you. Right, And the devil will use two different extremes to get you. He'll always package things nicely to sell you an idea. Right? If you're in a certain place, he'll be like, Habibi, this isn't actually wrong. I don't know who told you this was wrong. It's not wrong. Why do you think it's wrong? It's not wrong. Okay? If you do it and you realize it's wrong, your mind comes to itself. It's like, Habibi, God is merciful. God is forgiving. Right? Why are you so upset? Just go confess. Go confess and do it again. Right? Or if you're a more like uh, anxious person about your sin, right, and you're just worried about it, then he'll be like, you know, there's no point. You suck. You're a horrible person. You are not going to be forgiven because you keep doing this. Okay? How many times do you want God to forgive you? Over and over and over and over again? No. You shouldn't. You should completely continue to do what you're doing because there's no hope. One day if you're ready, maybe you can try, but I don't even know if it's worth it then because God has turned His back on you. So then now my excuse to do the wrong is that God is horrible. Right? So you have one person who's doing the wrong because God is so nice. You have another person who's doing the wrong because God is so mean. Right? Instead of, that's why I said at the beginning, we want truth. Right? We want to be objective, not to just be um, emotional. And so when we have these thoughts, we're told immediately... Reject the thoughts. We're told immediately, pray, right? So this is why we memorize prayers, memorize psalms, memorize verses, right? I know somebody who, when he was being mugged, okay, the first thing that came to his mind was psalms. So for the whole process, he's just reciting psalms in his mind. And that was what was able to keep him calm throughout the ordeal, right? The Desert Fathers also tell us to make use of what they call arrow prayers, Right? Arrow prayers in Salat al-Sahmeya, right? Which is literally like these, these arrows that are like darts to shoot down the thoughts as they come. One of these is the Jesus prayer, okay? The earliest form of the Jesus prayer was actually reciting the first verse of one of the Psalms, Make haste, O Lord, to deliver me, make, health, make haste to help me, O God. Right? This was the first form that I was, that I was given. 
right? Then it became, my Lord Jesus Christ, and oh God have mercy on me, a sinner. Others say, my Lord Jesus, save me, right? There's a, a common monastic practice in Egypt that I really like, um, where they will modify the Jesus prayer each time they say it, right? So, my Lord Jesus, and then they insert the prayer here, strengthen me. My Lord Jesus, give me purity. My Lord Jesus... Um, give me chastity. My Lord Jesus, give me patience. My Lord Jesus, rescue me. My Lord Jesus, and, and it can be positive or, or building, whatever it is, okay? These are the ways to do it. And the more that I do it, the more that my thoughts are filled with positive, right? So that I will, my gut thing to say in my mind won't be something wrong, it will be something good, right? If we memorize verses, is even better. Right? Because then when we have a temptation from the devil, the Desert Fathers tell us there's sometimes two ways to deal with a, with a thought. One is to flee it. Some of the fathers say if you have the ability, obviously the son saying you need a guide, confront the thought. Confront the thought with why it's wrong. Right? So saying, yes, I feel this. Yes, I see this. However, our Lord said, and then answer it with truth. That way you have another weapon. This is why we need to memorize scripture. Many of us think that memorizing is just like an old habit, but it made people saintly. Why? Because their mind was in the right place. We have the Bible, right? Abuna gave a few examples of people who took the Bible seriously, right? But if I, every time, usually for those who confess with me, I really ask them that when you read the Bible, don't just read it and glory to God and slam it shut. Take what you read and find a living exercise that you can do during the week. Right? If you read, for example, the story of the Samaritan woman. Okay, there's so many things you can do here. Right? One, God didn't treat a sinner like she was dumb. Right? No, He dealt with her like a human being. Do I treat people who I've judged like everyone else as a sinner with dignity and respect, or do I treat them horribly? Find in my head, who are the people that I know that I've been treating badly? I'm going to go out of my way to treat them well because I ought to. If God went out of His way to go meet an outcast, okay, because the Jews used to take the long road, to not go through Samaria, right? And she's coming at noon to avoid everyone. Well, then God went out of His way to meet with the reject, okay? Do I do that? Is there someone in the office, is there somebody at work that I just don't want to interact with because they're irritating, because they're boring, because they don't have the same mindset as me? Am I avoiding somebody? Is there someone at church that no one is asking about because they don't fit into whatever group that happens to be my group or someone else's? Am I asking about them? Right? If I do this, now the Bible is what's in my thoughts. Right? My, now in my thoughts is how to live properly. I become protected from the bad thoughts because my mind is in the good. We have to take the Bible seriously. Obviously, there's also spiritual reading. Okay? There's spiritual songs. There's Psalms. All of these things are things that we can put into our minds. I will never forget one of my first meetings with, with Abuna Lazarus um, in Egypt. And he was talking to me about prayer because that's what he does best. And he said to me, and I'll never forget it, he goes, I allow myself one hour of free thought a day. And on my mind, I was like, one hour? Like only one hour of free thought the whole day? Like, and he only sleeps like four hours a day, I'm like, okay, so that means of the remaining 20, okay, 19 are spent for him in prayer. That's a real discipline, right? And he I, probably has changed that now, because the whole idea was to bring his mind into subjection, right? To not allow it to go wherever it wants, especially for him as a hermit, 
um, because his warfare is going to be at a much higher level. So everyone here should have obviously their own rule with their spiritual fathers, but everybody should have in their minds to memorize psalms and prayers. We, we should not be okay with not memorizing. Another way to protect your mind is through the service. Okay? Because service, regardless of whether it's a formal service um, or an informal service, is to be in the presence of God. Okay? Because prayer is being in the presence of God. And what did our Lord say to those people who were standing before Him, who He was praising and said, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was in prison, you visited me. And even, not just people who didn't do it, but people who did do it looked at him and said, when did we do that? We never did that. And he said, yes, you did. Whatever you did to everybody else, it was as though you did it to me. Okay, so my service is also a form of prayer. And it doesn't have to be just Sunday school, right? Service could be going around and finding the homeless. Service could be finding the person who's rejected at work. Service can be somebody in my family is very down and doesn't have attention. Service could be that my parents are struggling in some way and I'm going to be just present to them. Service has, has so many levels, right? Visiting the, the, the sick, the needy, the helpless, the hopeless, the widows, the orphans, the strangers, the travelers, the sojourners. These are all places right from the Bible that Christ said, take care of these people. If I do these things, I become immersed in holiness. I'm able to seek good. I had some other quotes, but I think I've taken a really, really long time. I can send them out. But what I would really like to, just as a final thing to exhort everybody to, is pray with your intellect. Okay? Because if you just say, oh, I'll just pray it away. Pray is not... Prayer by itself sure has some benefit because at least it's not a bad thing in my mind but if you want to grow you need to pray with the intellect because by bringing my mind into it it means that I'm now training it right I'm not being passive okay it's like somebody for example who decides to eat healthy just because it's good to eat healthy but doesn't know what it is to eat healthy so will he benefit? Yeah, he'll benefit, like we said on the first talk, because he's not eating junk food. But if a person says, well, let me figure out what this health thing is all about, they can really grow, right? Because then they're able to say, oh, it's not just about my calories in, calories out. There's this thing called fat, and there's a thing called carbs, and there's a thing called protein. And if I have more of this, then I have this effect. If I have less of this, I have this effect, right? That's why I'm saying pray with intellect. I'm saying, what do these prayers mean? What am I saying? Who am I talking to? What am I reading? What am I praying? And then when you pray, your heart now is involved, right? Your mind has now entered the heart, right? And now when you interact with God, you're not interacting as a spectator. You're actually the live person doing it. Where it's like, well, what are the words of these saying? When I read the Psalms, right? What is David saying? Right? There are so many psalms that all of us can relate to, but that we don't because we're just going, tak, 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 hallelujah. Right? And then now I can do the gospel and go on to do my work and like, let us give thanks to the beneficent and God. But am I? Right? Am I bringing my intellect? Right? Like, I remember one of the first times, and I had been praying the Gbe for 20 something years at that point, where I'm like, for you have covered us, helped us, guarded us. Right? There was just a eureka moment of, it's not me doing it. Right? You did it to me. Like a simple meditation can come alive. 
right? There's some psalms where David is saying things that many of us feel, where it's like, life is horrible right now. I'm in the, I've got the blues. Things are horrible, and I can't feel your presence, right? Do I realize that David is saying that? Because then I'll know when I'm down what psalm to pray. There are other days where are saying, things are amazing, thank you. Right? If I'm actually paying attention, like, okay, I'm in a good mood, I'm going to pray this set of psalms. I'm in an anxious mood, I'm going to pray this set of psalms. Right? By bringing in the intellect, I can come more interaction with God, and interacting more with God, my thoughts become purified, and I can recover a proper and sound mind that can discern right from wrong. Glory be to God forever. Amen.